Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. Today, I have an international rock star, artist, drummer. <laughs> she, she's like, that's not on my resume yet. But um, she, this woman is absolutely unbelievable. You will not believe her talents, her story. So number one, share this out, please share it out immediately. And uh, number two, stay with us. You get to meet Patricia Geigich here in just a minute. See you guys. we're back let me bring patricia on patricia welcome to the show hey so good to have you here happy to be here i'm uh, you know i i we've i don't know how long we've been friends now probably at least a couple of years on facebook and um i see you doing all of these international rock star things that are like wow she just won an award in this part of the world and you're, you're amazing and i can't wait to hear your story so um let's why don't you start with telling everybody where you were born and raised uh just by virtue uh, first of all thank you ken for um inviting me to be on the show i'm i'm pretty thrilled i love talking to you and uh so i'm excited uh, Montreal, Quebec. My parents happened to be there uh, at that time, and that's where I was born. I lived there for probably until I was about three. My dad was a controller for a hotel chain, and so we were literally transferred uh, to different places. So I lived in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, where I went to school for wow. a couple of years, uh, London, Toronto, um, out west, I've been out west uh, in Canada, so I've I've been living in different places. But that was probably a blessing because I I think I had as a young person um, a lot of experiences other children might not have had if they were just living in their one domain. Wow. Yeah. Um, Facebook user says two rock stars. <laughs> that's nice. Whoever you are, that's so nice. So so. Where did you end up like graduating from high school? So, yeah, this is, um, I ended up back in Hamilton, Ontario. My okay. my mom and dad, because they had been traveling and, and living in different places, her parents were not well. And she literally had mm. spent very much time throughout her life with them. So we came back to Hamilton and I completed, I was actually grade seven and grade eight, did my high school and, uh, and then sort of life went on from there. So. Wow. Yeah. So, so you did, did you go to, and I know in Canada it's, they don't call it college, it's university. So we have both. So we do have colleges and we do have university. But I I think when I was born, I literally was born an adult. 
I fought in my baby in the crib, screaming and yelling, I want to move my arms. I want to talk. I want to get going with life. And so by the time I finished uh, high school, I had a few little odd things happen in my life in between. Uh, I wanted to work. I, I was, you know, my parents were not really you know, in a position to pay for university. And I mm. didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I'd always be an artist. That was yeah. always a given. But I I wanted a I wanted a real job. So I had three jobs. I worked when I was about 14, 15, I worked for uh, Burger Chef. So I was doing that part time. Then I I loved fashion and art. So I had a job in a bridal salon after school and on Saturdays. And I would be the person who would take the gowns out of the bag and then the brides would come in and try them on. And then they weren't happy with that. And I would, so I would have to put the bags back in, but I, but through that time, I always felt like there was this calling uh, for, for business. And my dad was, as, as I said, a comptroller. Yeah. So I walked into a bank one day and I went, oh my God, I want to be a bank manager. Literally, I think I was like 17 years old. And so from there, I I got a job. Um, so we had grade 13. So after grade 13, uh, rather than go to university, I went straight in full-time, became a teller at a bank. And I every day I would try and get in early and I would look around and say, I want to know how to do that job. I want to know about this job. And I gradually, over a short period of time, was promoted into different, uh, like the DDA desk. And and we hand wrote the cards for people who, when they came in and they made a deposit or a withdrawal, can you believe that? That's how way back in the bank, I mean, everything became computerized. Yeah. At the end of the day, we would take all our cards and we would have to, you know, total them up and balance our, our till and whatnot. But then... As I was in my my sort of um, reality, I said, women, why are there no women doing some of these jobs? They are, you know, there's no female bank managers. There were very few senior uh, women in positions. Anyways, I got transferred to Toronto and I really said, this is where I need to be. And I, I did. I just, I would apply for every job that came up, raising, rising, going through it. And then I, I think I was one of those girls that had the lucky break where um, I had a, a mentor. One of my, uh, the, one of the managers, a gentleman, his name was Bruce. Uh, he, he, I don't know if he said he saw something in me, but he knew I had lots of guts. And he said, you know, why don't you do this thing called the ICB Institute of Canadian Bankers? Why don't you take some courses? And uh, I, I started taking courses, but then the opportunity arose for me to take on a, um, a senior position. And then I was in Winnipeg at the time and they came to me and said, uh, I was a loans officer, a senior loans officer. And they said, well, would you like to take on a branch? I was 25 years old and I said, yes. So I became one of the youngest female bank managers in the history of the bank. And there, wow. And I I moved through that branch into another branch. And then eventually I was transferred back to Toronto and I took on a a larger position uh, and that I had 92 employees. I was 29 years old. Wow. And uh, I, and that was it for me. I was like, do I continue up the ivory tower um, or not? 
And there's a point where you, I, there were so many other things that I liked to do and I wanted to know. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I really did feel like I had accomplished um, the one piece of the puzzle, but there was always this nagging, lingering. Yeah. Uh, what about art? Like, I want to keep doing the art, but, you know, artists weren't get. I, can I sold my my ink drawings for $5 and $7 to an art gallery. They paid me and they wanted my work, but they were, that's how much that, so I'm like five and $7 isn't going to pay my rent. No. So, yeah. So that led anyways to, to my making some changes. And then I eventually had an so, opportunity. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, before we go any further, uh, you, you said a few minutes ago that there was, there were some um, things that occurred um, in childhood. Here's, here's why I bring this up because I truly think that um, that things that happen in our um, lives I, I, as children, I think that it kind of pushes us in the direction we end up going as adults. And I'm just curious, like, what are some of the things that come to mind that you think of? Like, yeah, as a child, this, because you said art was always a thing. Like, was it as a child too? What were the, the things that led up to eventually doing what you do? Uh, so this, this opens up a, a, a challenge. Uh, I, when I was probably three years old, so I'll start with the art. I my mom had given me pencils, crayons, and I started drawing and I couldn't stop drawing Elizabethan ball gowns. Like I'd never seen them. I didn't even know what, what I was doing, but I kept drawing these poofy, big, huge, you know, shoulder padded, big outfits with big skirts. And then um, out, of, out of curiosity, my mom would buy me, it was called Millie the Model. And they were, she was a comic book, Millie the Model. So I would, just get right into wanting to do the designs, the dresses. So from the time I was really, really little, I was drawing anything and everything. I loved people's faces. I won a contest at the YWCA. I did a portrait in pencil of Sir Winston Churchill, and I won first prize for that. That was something else that triggered me believing that maybe I had some talent and, and I wanted to do something. Wow. In magazines, they used to have at the very, very back, a little tiny column, and if you could draw the, the silhouette of this man or woman, and she was so beautiful, I would spend hours and hours and hours trying to draw this silhouette. And then one day I, I had the courage to do it and I mailed it in. And I mean, this is crazy. And it said that they would decide if you had the potential to be an artist. Wow. So I, I did this little silhouette, silhouette drawing. I mailed it in and they wrote back. I mean, this was one of those marketing advertising things to get you to buy a, a program or go to some school. I don't even remember what it was, but yeah. the letter came in the mail and it said, I had the potential to be an artist. Now, when you think back that there's only like, there were what, five or six McLean's, Chatelaine, um, yeah. wow. whatever magazines existed way back then. And to get somebody to write and tell you like, I thought, oh my God, like this is, this could really possibly happen. And of, of course that was a seed, I think that sort of stirred inside of me to believe and that. I how could. old were you? Uh, I think I was 10. Wow. 
Yeah, I think I was 10 at the time. But then I also came from, I have European roots. And uh, so uh, my father, who was, he was a very, I would say he's a little bit of an eccentric man. He was obsessed with everything musical and he wanted, he always wanted us to experience things. So for example, at Easter time, we would get jump in the car for a, a little tour. He would drive us to Mount Rushmore. And he, he would take us through the Badlands. He would uh, wow. make sure that we experienced seeing things and had a, a, a vision that the world was was there to experience. And wow. he loved music. So we were constantly being exposed to what he wanted. He loved um, Miriam Makeba. And she was a South African singer. And for for my dad's birthday, I decided that I would play this on the stereo and see if I could memorize her words and sing. And so I did. And then I fell in love with the, the music, the, the speaking in Swahili. And wow. I took that on. So that was important with my, with my parents' roots. They were Russian, Ukrainian, Polish. And so I went to Polish school when I was in grade seven. So I started to learn another language, which then, I let it led me to wanting to sing in a choir. So I went to the Polish church and I sang, I didn't understand any of it, but I would sing at seven o'clock, seven thirty, eight o'clock, and eight thirty mass, and then get to school for nine o'clock. Wow. I wanted to learn how to sing and, and be prolific at it. <laughs> wow. But going that's back incredible. to the little things that happen in life. So uh when I was 10, that's when the Bay of Pigs, the Cuban Missile crisis was happening. Oh. And we lived in London, Ontario, and of course it was end of September, beginning of October, and all I knew is the world potentially um, would end. I mean, there were there were so many things going on. It was frightening because you only had access to radio and TV. Yeah, and we were told, you know, the new CBC News with the the big huge screen would tell us that tomorrow the decisions would be made whether or not um, we would have a nuclear um, a bomb go off. I think in wow. everyone's mind, we, we had a bomb shelter built into our house. Like people had these things. There was a cement room. And I remember going downstairs into the basement and, and getting on my knees and literally praying to God, this would not happen that I didn't want to see people suffer and I didn't want to die. I, I, yeah, I, right. There was no way that this should happen. So I prayed and prayed and prayed. And literally, I think I made a promise that said, oh, if you don't, if, if everything is good when I wake up in the morning, I promise to be a super good person and I'll do whatever I can in the on the planet. So oh. I woke up the next morning. We were not bombed. And then I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, now what am I going to do? <laughs> I, wow. I, 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 <laughs> I took on the whole world because I had made yeah. this promise to God. <laughs> yeah. 10 years old <laughs> oh lord yeah. yeah but it's but it triggered you know a lifetime of um servitude and also understanding you know the relationships that you have um they're meaningful and, yeah. and you and you family first i mean there's so many parts of your life that you don't realize you know things happen Wow. So at a very young age, you had the, um, 
the ability to discern that you'd made a contract with the almighty. <laughs> to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know at 10 years old, were you really thinking of alternatives to just being a good person? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, but, um, so, so you, um, so fast forward back to 29 years old, you are, um, a branch manager, then you moved into an even bigger role within this bank. And, and, and you, you, you said that you thought is, is this it? Do I keep climbing the, the ivory tower here? What, what am I going to do? So what happened at that point? Uh, yeah. So an opportunity came up, um, CMHC was selling off some properties and buildings and there was a property that, it was um, designated as a retirement home. Mm. And I thought, okay, well, this might be worth um, investigating. So made the offer and purchased it and renovated it and then left the bank, started my own property management company. And uh, it spiraled into running the retirement home and then selling it and then, you know, making some conscious decisions I, I took over some townhouses, condominiums, and then the medical buildings. And uh, so that was in my, my sphere, and I loved all of it. But I continually stayed in my headspace of art, where I wanted to be um, a better artist. And then the lucky break came in uh, 1999, when uh, this was really a lot of fun. My, my uh, husband kept saying, we need to go to France. We should go to France. And he kept cutting out this little article from the Globe and Mail, and it said Sunflower Apartment. Well, I was at a gallery on, on a Saturday morning. I came back that evening, and he said, I've called the guy. He's going to call you, and, and we're going to go to France. And we're going to stay in the Sunflower Apartment. And this was in a place called La Begoude de Mazenc. And so it happened, but I went to meet the gentleman to get the keys and get the, the layout of the land because you had to fly from Paris and take the Tejave down to Montelamar and then took got a car and then you had to drive to La Bagoud. And uh, so when I'm in his house, he has this remarkable art collection, three floors. I get up, he's showing me everything. His, his grandfather was the silversmith for Givenchy. And so they had brought back from Europe many incredible pieces of furniture and but this art collection. So I get up to the third floor and I'm walking and I see this painting of a white horse and it's beautiful, but it's very abstract. And I looked at the name of the painting uh, or the, the artist and it said D-R-A-G-I-C, which is Dragic or Serbian, my husband's Serbian. So I said, to this person, I said, wow, I said, this is a Serbian artist, um, Dragic. And he said, no, he's French. His name is Dragic. <laughs> <laughs> said, no, it's not. I said, it's not Dragic. And anyways, <laughs> in long story short, he, he said he's a very eccentric man. He is one of the top 10 artists in Provencal. And it's about a three hour drive from the place that uh, that you're going to be. And he lives in this village called Savoyon, which is near Mont Ventoux. I, my, I think my wife has been there, actually. I've heard her talk about this. That's like. where they have the cycle races, you know, the, the Tour de France. Yeah. So wow. we get into La Bagoude de Mazenc, and the woman who was there, his 
wife said, uh, I said, I want to go and meet this Mr. Drajik. And she said, he doesn't meet people. He doesn't like Americans. He doesn't like people. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, I want to meet him. So you call him. So she called him and he said, no, uh, you're not interested. And then wow. I was like, you know, I don't know how to explain the power of the universe took over. And all I kept saying was, no, I have to meet him. And uh, the next day I, I said to this, uh, to Ulrika, I said, please call him again and tell him that I'm coming. And she said, well, I will, but you know, I'm, I'm getting a bit embarrassed. And I said, no, just phone him and tell him that I have to meet him. And so she did. And he hemmed and hawed. And then uh, finally <laughs> he said, okay, she can come on Wednesday. I'm going to give her two hours and that's it. And she cannot be late. All right. So what happens? It We're in this place, Lapagut de Mizank. And here we go. We have to go all the way up to Mont Ventoux to the mountain. And to get to Savoyon, you have to turn, you have to cross the mountain. What is there when you get to this particular fork in the road? Two signs, the fast route and the slow route. Not speaking enough French to be able to figure out what we needed to do. We took the slow route. And of course, we are an hour and a half late. Ah. Uh... Dying. Dying. So we pull oh, up. Oh, my. Two, or Savoyon is this little unbelievable village, fifth century, all the carvings, they're, they're all like turrets and it's spectacular. And there, right by the Eglise, the church, on this big, huge rock is this burly guy with a big, huge beard and long gray hair, Monsieur Dragon Dragique. Oh, no. Like this, sitting with his arms <laughs> crossed. <laughs> I'm like dying. So here I am. I'm pestering <laughs> him that I have to meet him and I'm even late to meet him. Oh no. Anyways, he was he 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 you know accepted uh, our apologies. He does not speak English. He only spoke Serbian and and French. So fortunately my husband could communicate with him. So wow. we go into his home and he's you know talking to us. And then he said, well, come up now to the atelier, to his studio. So we go up this turret round stairs, we get to the top. And that's when my, I think my life changed forever and ever and ever. And, and you were 29? Uh, no. So this is 1999. So oh, 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 oh. Um, okay. Well, yeah. so yeah. I, I, I'm now standing in a room where I'm looking at the posters on the wall from Gallery Colette Dubois, from the galleries in Avignon. His name, it says, Dragique, um, Picasso, Christo. Like he's he's like in that real world of, of artists that you only dream, dream, dream of. Wow. So our, our first visit was spectacular. He asked me at the end of this uh, conversation to show him my work and I did bring some, some pieces. And then he walked us out to our car and he said, she doesn't speak enough French for us to communicate. Um, I will give her one week. She can come <laughs> back in six weeks. I will give her literally one week to be with me. She has to speak some French. Oh so my God. I know Ken. Holy shebob. Yeah. Wow. So I, 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 for, but for me, the challenge was I will, I will do anything. So I hired a tutor and I had 32 hours of, of lessons with her. And then I was, wow. I had the Le Baron books. I had two or three of them. And what's all that, I, what is it called? 
Le Baron, B-A-R-O-N. So those are the books that if you go into the bookstore, you can buy Le Baron books and they teach you how to write and speak French or any other language. So my, my wife speaks fluent French. She's okay. she studied in France and yes. she's, yeah. And she's on here. She's blown away by the way. <laughs> um, but, but so, so you were from Quebec though, or is yeah, it Quebec? I was 23. Like I, we, oh. I didn't go to school. Like I was oh. the, you know, we, we were just transplanted there. Um, my dad was in the Canadian Air Force before he, yeah. you know, and that ended. He became an accountant and um, that, that was his, you know, job. So we were there because of that. But so, I mean, I'm going back to France. I'm, I'm now looking at my life and I'm saying, okay, uh, I have an opportunity to study with this grandmaster who is so brilliant, so genius. And, and I can't mess this up. So I did, I did all my lessons. We arrive and I had the, um, I brought all my books with me. I probably had three or four different dictionaries and, <laughs> and I, and I, and I spent one week with him every single day. He, so we stayed at this incredible, um, Bergerie, this little farmhouse and every day at six o'clock he would come and he would bring croissants and we would have breakfast together. I would shower and change and then I would go to his place to the atelier and I would work all day. We would have lunch around two o'clock in the afternoon, take a break and then go back and work and then have dinner at nighttime. I thought I would, I, I mean, it was so extraordinary, but wow. at the end of that first week, um, he, ba he basically said that he really liked me and that he thought I was teachable. But the deal was this, if I came back, I had to come back with no brain. I know nothing, zero, oh. whatever I thought I knew, I don't know. And if I could come back with um, an empty brain, he would teach me. And he also told me to park my ego. Like literally, he said, I, you know, I don't need wow. you. And so if you want to learn, he said, you know, tu es une sponge, you're a sponge, you're gonna do it my way. So I went wow. back again. And uh, I went back again, and I went back again, and I went back again, and we became, since 1999, he's my master. He has, I've had an exhibition with him in 2008, nine, I think, in wow. We, he has, you know, it is the Matisse palette that he taught me in oils, only using Rembrandt paint. And the coolest thing is that he doesn't talk about the colors. Everything is by number. So when you are going to paint, you're going to mix 506 and 513 to create this color. And if you're going to use whatever you, so we, I had to memorize the entire Rembrandt series so that I would be able to um, know the combination of the palette. And of course he had expanded that palette significantly. And um, so I get so excited talking about it because- that He's extraordinary. You're extraordinary. So <laughs> uh, uh, you are. So I, I, and my wife's talking about things b uh, over my head. <laughs> Carl Brenders or Carl Brenders. Yes. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you a question. Gosh, this is like, I, I'm just, let me interrupt your journey for a moment and ask you a, a technical question. Okay. <laughs> what? Um, 
I don't know who this is. Who is, who are you, Facebook user? <laughs> I, I'm wondering if that's Glenn. Oh, um, oh my God. I love Glenn. I love Glenn. Oh, I love Glenn. Um, so when it comes to, because I, 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 oh, it's Colleen. It's Colleen. So when it comes to, um, uh, how do I ask this? I've always been absolutely blown away and intrigued by art. I love it, love it, love it. I'm a digital artist when it comes to Photoshop and stuff like that. But um, do you think that this is something that, that anybody can learn or is there, is, does, do you feel like there has to be some sort of a, an, an inborn talent that already exists? Oh, it, okay. So we need another two hours for this conversation. <laughs> so my, my inherent feelings are that as a human, we have so much uh, talent. Yeah. We, have, we have levels of consciousness that we haven't tapped into. We have um, limited ourselves by virtue of other people not not recognizing, um, you know, that we do have the power to make our own decisions and choices. So I'm going to say um, door number one. Yes, I'm. <laughs> I'm proving to the world right now. I, I started this little project called the Karmic Art Experience where I, I have invited people to spend literally three hours with me with a blank canvas paints and I take them through a journey where I've had Olympians, the Olympic female yeah. players, swimmers. I've had lawyers, doctors, different people of, of um, different um, genres sit with this process and I, I take them, I call it like, you have to have tabula rasa. I'm going to take you to a blank slate. And then through, I, I spent a lot of time studying um, different psychologies and religions. And, I, and maybe in this combination of studying Buddhism, I also studied a lot of mindfulness and I went to U of T and I completed my certification and applied mindfulness and mindfulness without borders. And I felt that, if you could do something without judgment, you can do it. So I take people through a journey and everyone who has completed it has completed a painting and it's phenomenal. It's, it is something extraordinary. They never expected that they could do, but it's by the, it's like our minds, if they're pushed or melanged or they're, they're, they're given an opportunity to experience something where literally you are so loved, you are so in a safe place. And I don't even like those words of safe place, but you are yeah. in, a, in an environment and I create it with music as well. So there's really sensational music that's playing all kinds because I'm really into music. Yeah. And, and so I think I've proven I don't care what people say. You are talented and you could be an amazing painter. And now I'm working on, I've converted the uh, karmic art experience into something called the wisdom of karma. And now I'm going to have five different pillars 
included in the wisdom of karma, which will allow people to go through that experience. But I'm going to fine tune it so it's more relatable to uh, more specific things. And art will definitely be one of them. Music will be one of them. Business will be one of them. But it it's I, I'm a firm believer that yeah, I'm a firm believer <laughs> that every single human being can get past the 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 obstacle. And because I've had so many things happen to me in my life yeah. that I really shouldn't even either a be alive. I mean, we haven't even talked about my horrible yeah. stories. We're but... we're gonna get there. <laughs> Anyways, yes. So long answer for you. Sorry. No, no, it's a no. It's not a long answer. It's a perfect answer. So so uh, so you because th- I, I I I I came across a book years ago. I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, that that said it explained something about how right brain left brain works and when you're and they said if you take a portrait or an image and you turn it upside down and, and so i i was like and it worked i i actually was able to draw something because i turned it upside down i forget the the reason why there was a there was a scientific reason why but uh, it worked yeah so. well one, one big big part of Um, that process and you're right so when people say how do you know your painting is finished and I always say because you turn it in every direction and it feels complete so once you have actually finished what you see if you turn it it's got a different perspective to it immediately and if it doesn't look like it's finished that way then I work on it that way then I flip it again until I see that no matter what way I flip my painting I love it, that I feel it's complete. And then going to your other point, um, funny enough, I don't know why, I picked up this book out of my library this morning at home, and it's called Your Handwriting Can Change Your Life by Vimala Rogers. So, oh, hi, Dennis. Um, So we have this, uh, uh, and Alan, hello. Alan. Um, So I always believe that, yes, you're right, right side, left side. If you, I'm a right-handed person, I have been practicing writing with my left hand because the synapses are actually shifting and getting stronger and they open up the variables, you know, that give you a different way of, of feeling. And it's also confidence building. So I started also painting with my left hand and it, it strengthens wow. something inside of you. Yeah. So that's a really super key point that you've made hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. I, I, my wife said in here, her problem is I have no, she actually does have, she's unbelievably talented. And I, I know you well enough to know that you would say, don't say that about yourself. (laughs) I'm slapping you. (laughs) I love it. So, but you know, the gauge for people, you know, you're either super, super famous and someone says, you know, this is, <laughs> I use chopsticks. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, you know, there's this hierarchy in any industry and in the art world, especially, I mean, unless you are, you know, people making 61 million or you're Rothko and you've got work that is being, you know, auctioned off at Christie's or Sotheby's for significant amounts. Um you know, there, there's a world with performance levels, the shifts and changes that take place for people sometimes get gauged on I'm not good enough. 
And, mm -hmm. and my brain has never been in that headspace ever. I just feel like that's my karma. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I want to be a better human being. I want to be a better person. So you take those experiences that you've had and it's your choice how you want it to, um, you know, how you want it to end. And, you know, I hate saying that it's always, there's, there's always going to be good things that happen in your life and there will be bad things that happen in your life. Life is about choice and change. And yeah, it is. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about, you know, um, I mean, so you, in 1999, you met, I can't say all of the French words you said, um, drag, Dragon Dragic. yes, him. Yeah. Um, and you were married Yeah. and you spent a week with this other man. <laughs> okay. So Monsieur Dragic is also married. His wife and I are bestie friends. Oh, okay. Uh, so when I say I spent a week with him, I mean, the privilege of being in his atelier, oh, in his studio every yeah. single day. And that's unbelievable. It, it truly, it's extraordinary. And, and wow. when I think about my writing more books and there will be a book about my relationship with him. Um, yeah. Dennis, good oh, night. You too, Dennis. Take good yeah, care. He's Thank amazing. I know. Yeah. So, so talk about some of the, uh, cause you know, from, I mean, you've won all these, you, you're internationally known, you've won these massive awards and um, recognitions and, you know, but there've been challenges for you, I would imagine, along the way. I, I, there's so many parts of, um, you know, anyone's day-to-day -day life. So yes, I did have, um, unfortunate things happen to me. I mean, yeah. I wrote a book called Karmic Alibi, Gaining Expedient Wisdom by Leaving Your Excuses Behind. And it's really mm. a story about different parts of my life where things happened. Um, when I was really, when I was very young, I was unfortunately, um, and I don't like to even talk about it, but there, mm. the big R um, mm. happened to me, which was extremely scarring. Yeah, and I was also uh, on a horse in Saskatchewan in on the and and the horse took off um decided it just got spooked and it was a part quarter horse part Appaloosa and it took me to the Trans Canada Highway where I had to make a decision if I was going to be thrown in front of a transport truck and killed oh. or if I would um have to somehow figure out how to survive I didn't think I could survive we'd already gone about two or three miles at about 35 miles an hour, that's how fast the horse was actually, you know. Wow. Kept. And I and I knew that I wasn't going to make it, so I had to slide off. I slid off the back of the horse full full gallop at 35 and um, hit the uh, pavement of the Trans-Canada Highway, hit my head. I was unconscious. I rolled into the ditch. Oh. And when they found me, I, I know I was dead. I was dead. Wow. And within, I don't know what, I can't say how many minutes I had the most horrific, horrific, like lightning bolts going through my head and my body. And I, I felt like I was underwater drowning and I came to, and I came to full conscious. Um, I, I, I could recall everything that happened. I had no memory loss, 
but my everything in my life had been was altered from that minute on. I was 22 years old, and I knew that I um, had been given an opportunity to live. And so I started. I think that's what was really a big trigger for me to become such an empath, where I was not attached to egoic things. I was not. It was never the me first feeling. It was always like so. I would see through something and say, "I can feel you. I need to help you. I need to say this to you." So it was like a, a little wisdom bubble, you know, hit me. And at the same time, I became. I really valued. Um, my life in a very different way, but that didn't stop things from happening. So as a bank manager, I was held up at gunpoint a serious couple of times. Jeez. Uh, yeah. And, and again, when you were, and that one time, you know, there's the, the guy comes in, I'm informed that we're being robbed. He's got his hand inside of a paper bag with a gun and it's pointed right at me. And I have to make a decision if we're giving him money and knowing that he would probably, he could pull the trigger anyways. Like we, we saw him. Um, I was, that was a, you know, it's like, these are things that happen to you that you say, okay, like how many more things can go wrong? But that wasn't the end of it. So yes, there, wow. there were other things that transpired, not always to me, but around me that impacted me. And, uh, um, so you you just simply value things. And that again is why I I when people say they don't have talent, there's a there's a part of me that I think art is cathartic. I mean, it is really it's therapy as well. And a lot of people do, you know, teach art as a therapy. Yeah. It allows you to get into the, all the different, you know, um, bits and pieces of your life or emotions that are triggered by events. Um you know, that we hold in our consciousness, but it's also an avenue for discovery of how you can heal yourself and why it makes a difference to express yourself because words don't always come out of people. Not everybody's a wordsmith or can grasp the vocabulary to be able to describe the emotion that is, is lying deep within them or that it can even come out. And by virtue of music and some of the conversation that I have during our process, I, I help people get to a super, super comfortable, um, you know, happy place. Yeah. And, uh, I've, and I, and I feel like that's a confidence that, you know, we beat ourselves up a lot of times people beat us up or the surroundings so that you, you don't have the sensibility to be able to say, I'm still okay. I'm still good. And yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it. I, I, th I think, you know, there's, there's a Buddhist saying that I absolutely love and, and, and really try to stay aware of, and that is pain in life is inevitable. Suffering is a choice. And, and I think that, you know, I talk a lot about that. Like, you know, what's, what story are you living in like right like because yeah. we're constantly telling ourselves a story and i i think you know not not to not not to use the artists but but i i mean it's like we get to choose what we want to put on our canvas of life yeah um uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a lot of people know and, and read her work, talks about death, the final stages of growth. And I think 
every day that you are in a position where you can make a better choice for yourself or separate yourself, the cessation of suffering will only happen when you detach from seeing it as suffering and you would put it into a, why are you suffering? So you're suffering because A, you need something from it or your ego's wounded or, you know, I don't, I know abuse is, a, is something that a lot of people have experienced and it is, and yes, it is something traumatic. Um, a lot of post-traumatic happens for people, but there's also the particulars of separating yourself from being in that moment. And the more mindful people can be, the, the greater practice that they have to live each day without judgment, yeah. that makes it, that again, helps the synapses to strengthen and gives you the courage, the stamina to be able to say, what's the electricity in the room look like for me today? Yeah. And, and, you know, you let it fuel an aspect of what you need to accomplish and feel good about it. Not every day, like you, you, yes, you mentioned about my having, I've won unbelievable things, awards, top 100 most powerful women in Canada, four times, That's Universal Women's Network. I won the gold medal at the Louvre, at Salon National Beaux-Arts, first female, first Canadian, like a lot of firsts and things that, um, but they don't define me. Those are wonderful. They're just wonderful. It's, it feels good. It gives me the confidence to say, okay, but what do I like about it? I like that for the people who are suffering, who don't think they can do what they're supposed to do, or they're not happy with the level of what attention they're getting, get over it. Like <laughs> experience the experience. Like, you know, I'm here in my studio and I'm, you know, I've got a whole new life happening here. So I'm starting to drum. Started in September and I'm an, ad, an addict. And I know you're a drummer. Let's, so let's look at, yeah, look at that beautiful kit sitting well, over there. Yeah. So this is the, she's called Lotus. And she is a Gretsch renowned kit. And wow. then uh, there are the Sonar SQ1s. Wow. Like, another beautiful, you know, sounding kit. So our collaboration, I'm doing a collaboration with my, the uh, my friend who since I was 12 years old has yeah. been my best friend and uh, so professional drummer teaching me drumming and we're doing art together um, we're going under a brand called Lotus 97.7 he is Italian 97.7 Roman Italian so the Lotus wow. and 97.7 so so let me ask you this. If if you were talking to, and I, I, I look, I love what Eric Flanoy says. Um, art is very therapeutic. Any advice to a 50-year-old guitar player looking to break into the business? As a guitarist, musician, yeah. or artist? Great question. I don't know. I, I, I'm, Yeah. That's I'm a great question. So if, if it's a, a, for a musician, uh, I mean, right now, I think that YouTubes have given us so much possibility. Every person who's amazing. I mean, I've started drumming. So now I'm in, uh, addicted to drumio, to every conceivable thing there is about drums. Yeah. I think um, as an artist that it's too late. The fact that I wake up every day is the very first day of this, the chapter I'm writing in in my life. So yep. I look for the opportunity. I, I also believe strongly in, in no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, come on, do this. You have to go and find. So it's your marketplace. 
um, if you practice, and this is the other part of my, my big, big lessons in life. Oh, artist and musician. Okay. Uh, you have to do due diligence. You have to do your homework. Uh, yeah. You've got to know. I always, I think for Dragon, it's always like you find your soul, but you steal from everybody because it's a world where if you look at a photograph or you look at a painting, like I have studied for over 20 some odd years with um, a, loving the work of many different artists, but Zhao Qi, Chinese French painter. Zhao Qi's work to me was it's so beyond magical that the aspects of it, I try and incorporate. I, I, I would look and see what kind of brushes does he use? What are the things that are, what are the tools and the colors that are really making me feel like I'm genuinely interested and want to know more? So study and then practice and, and then just do it. And then even if you think for one split second that you're not good enough, it just means you just got to keep practicing not every door will open, but if you're satisfied to be in between the moments when you're doing the actual act of art, the act of playing, like I am a guitar player, I have a piano, and now I'm I'm playing drums. Yeah. That doesn't happen unless I practice. And and I have to feel like the music right now that I'm obsessed with is Pat Metheny's music. So Pat Metheny, I think, is probably the number one genius guitarist in the entire world. I don't care. And I've I'm going to say that that's my call, but that's <laughs> um, right. He's got a 42 string guitar um, called the Picasso P I K A S S O. But there's, there's only yourself to, to blame. If it doesn't happen, you've just wasted a single day. So get your act together, look and seek and find, go seek out like-minded people. Yeah. Read, you know, I, I'm just going to be that old school person. None of this happened to me. If I if I had not have spent those, you know, since 99 studying and doing the work that I did, I wouldn't I wouldn't know what I know now. Yes, Alan. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Pat Metheny, his new album. Well, one of his recent albums is Side Eye. And there's a song called Lodger. And I'm doing a series of paintings right now uh, to that particular piece of music. Uh, it's wow. Yeah. So, so you, um, and, and Eric, Eric loves Pat Metheny. So, yes. <laughs> yes. So, so this is a, I think it's a rhetorical question, <clears throat> but what do you think in, in your opinion? Now, the number one answer to this question, by the way, is fear. I ask every guest this question. Um, so you have to do better than fear. <laughs> what holds people back in life from two things? Number one, real financial freedom and real happiness and freedom in life. And I do think I, I I've said this a million times. I think that, that it's related because I've been homeless and broke and I've been, wealthy and and homeless and broke sucks yeah so um what do you what do you think is stopping people from from having it all so the tagline of my my first book um and i i want to also give a shout out to somebody uh to craig doeswalt because i uh, met him like 12 or 13 years ago i went to his boot camp and and for every 
day that I sit and I think about what I have going on in my life, it was another one of those pivotal, pivotal moments, like write a book in 30 days, take on this challenge. But every person who I seem to have connected to through him, including Glenn Morshower, has, yeah. has been part of my life cycle changing. And the, the, the words I used for my tagline uh, were gaining expedient wisdom by leaving your excuses behind. Mm. And that, you know, I'm not coming up with, you know, freedom or fear is not my currency, blah, blah, blah. Uh, relationships make a difference. But yeah. it's, it's this excuse that we seem to seek out. And, and it's the one that we believe the excuse will validate why it didn't happen, why I can't do it, because she didn't give me this, because I didn't do whatever. They didn't pay for whatever. They, it's always that excuse. I like to think that there's, if that's an obstacle, there's an alternative, you know, what is the, what's the other side of it and how can I seek that? Um, what do I have to do? Because after experiencing death, I'm sorry, you have the ability to do every conceivable thing that comes into your brain. Absolutely. I love that answer. And I'm going to share, this is another, this is like a little quote thing, but make sure you have finished speaking before your audience has finished listening. Wow. Yeah. So That's powerful. I like, I like thinking that what you've had to say means that I've, that I'm also listening. And I think there's too many people that, yeah, average sucks. We, we think too much in our own heads that we're waiting to we think about what is the next thing that i'm going to say versus what gold platinum has ken just given me am i a good listener do i really hear because well, a lot of people just want to talk and and there's us there's one line that um uh, Greg or Glenn Morshower, we talked about this not that long ago. He came up with this comment when we were, I was listening to him on one of his calls and he mentioned the word chronic opinionitis. Yeah. And I, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> reality, like everyone's got an opinion and that's just, uh, it's better to be a good listener. You know, the wisdom bits that come out of people, Look, take that as the attitude that you need to have when you're listening to people and whether you like them or not, or you think you are on the same page with them or they're not rich enough or not poor enough. I don't care, but everybody is our teacher and, and you learn so much by, by humbling yourself to recognize that maybe this just wasn't the moment for you to shine, but yeah. maybe that moment will come. But what is it that you want to do that really makes a difference? so so brilliant and and tr so true I, I just put out a post this morning about about that on facebook you know i think that that during the 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 two years of of pandemics and and all of the insanity that that ensued from that i, I you know i know that um globally suicide rates skyrocketed i mean skyrocketed and and i think that there are a lot of people even now probably just hanging on by a thread not knowing they feel like they've tried everything done everything like and things just aren't going right for them what do you say to somebody that if they 
were to call you and say, Patricia, I've tried everything and it's just not working out. What do you say? Like, how do you help them get to the next moment? So it's like, there's this, um, armamentarium of psychiatry and pills and every conceivable thing that we, we could reach out for. But I want to believe that silence is a fence around wisdom. And if you can help a person sit in their silence, just simply sitting in their silence with them, the amount of energy that we give off, the vibration that we give off is significant. And again, it's sometimes the words or whatever don't make a difference, but humankind, human beings together, like the war right now that's happening, it's, it's incomprehensible. We are, it flirts with everything inside of us. We're angry. All the emotions are coming out. We're frustrated and yes, silence is a fence. How do we actually thrive? for people. And, and it is just that showing up. So I don't know that I could say anything to anybody other than I would love them. I would sit with them. I would be, I would have the courage to sit in their suffering. And if that's Bane, and if I can't make something out of that, you know, transition, I don't also feel that any one person is responsible enough to take ownership of whether or not another person survives, thrives or not. Um, again, having some personal experience in my own family, you have to put the mask on yourself first, but then also by virtue of your own actions and by you know, never giving up, I think, it shows another person the strength that you have, but also loving a person and being with them for so long. And I know we've all had relatives that have had addictions and, and in yeah. whatever capacity, whether it's drugs or alcohol, and, and you've had your own experience. Yeah. The, the, the fortitude, the, the things that come to us reveal so much about ourselves. And when you can hold on to, you know, what comes next and and for some people it is a good marriage or it's a good partnership or or a good employer or a friend yeah it's life-changing it is life-changing totally agree I, I you know i think it was glenn that said um you know maybe try getting out of yourself and looking at the people around you and yeah. and and I mean, I've heard other people say that, obviously I talk about it. Like you, you want to get over depression, go help somebody else. Like you forget all about why you're depressed. Um, but you know, I, I think that if you, you know, I, I believe it was Glenn that said who in your life, who loses if you don't win? Yeah. And, and and it's like you look at the beautiful work that you've done and that you continue to do. Look at the the millions or however many people that have been, you know, deeply touched by you and your work. Those people would have never been able to receive that had you not. In 1999 said no, I'm going to meet the dude. Like, I'm going to go, we're making this happen. Like, right. Yeah. You didn't give up. And and that's where most people fail is they 
hear no or it's not going to happen and then they give up and they just surrender to that experience you didn't no stamina you know ken i i have I swear if I get a tattoo that doesn't say Lotus 97.7, I'm going to get one that says stamina because yeah. that, that is the, the, the word, the feeling, the emotion in every capacity. It takes stamina yeah. to love. It takes stamina to hate. It takes stamina to be in war. It takes stamina to, to, to create anything. Um, you know, when you're sitting in the bubble of, oh, poor me, yeah. that's the bubble you're going to live in. The minute that you you can step out, like, okay, again, just, you know, last seconds here, but, you know, I have a project in Cambodia. It started yeah. in 2006. I have never experienced anything in my life outside of, you know, real family where the imprint, the, the, the smallest action that you can make is so significant that it can change. And it is such a ripple effect. You know, we've got a little farm happening soon. We just did a chick, we built a chicken farm. I have my school in Romeus. We have the innovation house in Buang Miala. I built the first library in Angkor Wat, creating the opportunity for a whole entire, you know, um, field of potential to open only because I paid attention. And I said, I don't need this. What if I do this? I didn't expect anything from anything out of it, nothing. And I still don't ever. Right. But right. if I know that you are a better person, that you're a happier person, that I made a little tiny dent in your day by sharing something, I love you. Like I'm, who am I not to be in a position to say, you know, if I have that capability or if we all do, why are we not using it? You know, I mean, again, looking at the war, looking at the world, anyhow, yeah. that's, we, we have to stop being frivolous with our fear. We you're, you're my sister. Yes. <laughs> like, like, I, I, I mean, I, I think that it's, it, it, I, I've been through some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff in life. And, um, I, I mean, you know, look, I, you're, I, I love what Grant Cardone says. He says, you know, look, if you don't, if you don't go out and share your story and 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 really put in the effort to help others, you're being selfish. Yes. And 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 how many selfish people do you know that are actually happy? <laughs> they're not. They're miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Patricia, you're you're amazing. Is where can where can everybody? um follow you learn more about you do you have a website i did i should have asked you that up front i'm so That's sorry okay. yeah so it's it's um it's still up and operational it's my name patricia karen um i have where we're revamping and putting up our new website for lotus 97 7 i didn't even get a chance to talk about this whole authentify art process that um i'm also involved in which is related to nfts um, now talk about that. We have time uh, unless you have to go. No, I'm here. I'm good. So yeah. yes, I was in Los Angeles uh, for the LA NFT event. Um, so we're creating non-fungible tokens um, by actually painting and then drumming with paint on the canvas to specific pieces of music and then also videoing our process. 
So when you go back into the art world, um, one of the biggest problems that has existed is legitimacy and how does one actually uh, find out whether or not this painting was painted by da Vinci or Rembrandt or whomever. Uh, and it's always going to be based on how do you how do you prove and authentify it? So there is a company, Authentify Art, which has approached us and we are going to be um, working with them. We will create the um, NFT, which will be put up on the blockchain. It will be dropped. The token itself will have a code created by Authentify, which is going to legitimize our work so that 100 years from now, we will be able to prove that this was a painting that was painted um, you know, wow. by us. And it's and it's but it's getting bigger and bigger because now we have, um, you know, musicians are collaborating. Uh, Snoop Dogg is he owns 17 million dollars plus worth of NFTs. Um, wow. Yeah. Did you hang out with Snoop? He is actually was supposed to be there. He did not. Um, oh. So that was unfortunate. But I have to say that um, one Mark Cuban was one of the keynote speakers, and he brought up uh, two actors. One of them was Charlie Sheen, who is also starting to come into the world of crypto and, and NFTs. I saw the picture with you and Charlie. Well, how that happened, of course, I, I took my little courage and I walked up to the front of the stage and I think by being five foot one, I can get past any guards. So <laughs> I, I kind of snuck through the back and, and I wanted to hand my cards. I have these beautiful new metal cards. I wanted to hand them to Mark Cuban and I never knew Charlie Sheen was there. So I had my card in my hand and I did, I walked up to Mark who was speaking with somebody and I just said, I, I'd like to give you my card. And that was it. He walked away. He was engaged as I'm standing there. I turn my head and I see Charlie Sheen standing by himself. And I went, whoa. So I quickly grabbed my bag. I opened it, took out another card and I walked up to him. I introduced myself. I said, I was an artist. And I said, I'd love to give you my card. And then um, Monica Kretschmer was with me. She's the um, founder of the Universal Women's Network in Calgary in Canada. And so she walked up and I quickly took my phone and I, we took pictures together and then she spoke with him and I, videoed her speaking to him wow. and then he was being yelled they were calling for him to come on come on and he didn't want to leave he was like we were wow. having a great conversation and uh and that was it so that was a, a real perk like i was super excited um yeah i i need i i feel like i need to learn about nfts because i don't know anything about them nothing i know nothing about all of this new digital currency world nothing I need to learn. We both do. Yeah. Well, I you're a little bit further down the hole than I am for sure. Yeah, it's so, a learning process, 100%. Yeah. Wow. You are you're absolutely amazing and I love the you said that you're drumming on the canvas as you paint. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. It, it it's actually another part of what will happen in our in my um, the wisdom of karma experience because wow. using wire brushes using you know the sticks to a specific piece of music that after you know we've painted backgrounds layers and layers and then when you like for example we put a song called the truth shall always be we, one of our key goals right now is to create the series of paintings to honor some of the drumming icons 
And wow. Neil Peart, who was the drummer for Rush. Rush. I love it. Yeah. So he, he went to the same music teacher as my, my collaborator, as Greg. Yay! <laughs> Here too. So what happened was uh, he said they had the same drum teacher, Glenn Grotto, who just recently passed away. Wow. So um, there was an opportunity for Greg to, you know, meet uh, Neil. And uh, so we've done this painting where we have him etherically sitting behind a kit and uh, we've been creating drum kits on these uh, canvases, very specific to, you know, the, the actual drummer. Wow. And, uh, and then finding their music and then finding the piece that we feel is, is most auspicious. And then we drum to it and then it's, we're being videoed as we're drumming so that it's really cool when you look at, like we did John Bonham and of course Bonham rolls are yeah, yeah. everyone so we've got this bonham kit with bonham in the background and then we did it to stairway to heaven which was obvious you know one of the greatest songs and you yeah. and if you're looking at the painting and you can see where all of the you know the notes are you, you i i look at it and i think i can hear the music i can that actually that is so flipping cool and neil <laughs> pert neil pert is like literally in my opinion this is my opinion um the best drummer ever of all time. That's just, he's, he's unbelievable. First concert I ever saw, by the way, in 1984 was Rush. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, what I think that's really been a shock for me is that all of the people that have been coming in and out of my life are somehow related to drumming. So another person who I was, uh, yes, for sure. He's, <laughs> yeah was um franklin vanderbilt so he's lenny kravitz's drummer has been wow. for a number of years uh and i so i met him and and of course that's a you know you you know this once you've got drumming inside of you everything changes like your whole thinking process changes you feel things differently you do things differently yeah and yeah. Uh, so i i don't know wow. where this is going to go i don't think i'm ever going to be in a rock band although i was invited <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's so awesome. I, I think I, I just I love the um just I I, I don't, how how do you even say it? Like I just love the thought of drumming and painting, drumming on the actual canvas that you're painting. I it's just yeah. like I, I can't even do you have do you have an example of what it looks like? Yes, give me a second. I gotta see this. We're going to go full screen so we can see it too. This woman is absolutely amazing. I, I hope you guys have enjoyed this interview because Patricia is just, she's a, look, I'm going to go full screen. Look at, look at that. The painting is just incredible, incredible work she does. And I love the studio. Oh, here we go. Okay. So I did find. Oh yep. my Lord, have mercy! So this is uh, our. We call wow. this painting Bonzo. Wow! Is based on. Um, oh, sorry. On the you know work of John Bonham. Wow! And so we carefully decided like what his kit should look like, and then we have. Um, you know, drummed on it. You can see what's really funny though, and I. I think this is the best ever 
is that during some portion of our playing, Greg, my partner Greg actually split the canvas, and we uh, have a hole, we have a hole because of hitting the uh, yeah the canvas so hard with the drums. But this I is was I hard. was actually wondering, okay, how are you not splitting the canvas? I was thinking that, like, how are you not splitting the canvas by drumming on it? <laughs> yes, so it that did happen. So wow. we more mindful to be a little careful, like more careful, but we're yeah. not going to fix them because they, they form part of the, uh, part of the painting. So. A story. Yes. It's a, it's a story. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Patricia, you rock. You're awesome. Thanks. I, I, I'm so grateful you came on and shared today. Is there anything else that you would like to leave the audience with today? Like, um, you know, I, I look, I think everybody's carrying the, the old saying is everybody's carrying their own cross. Um, you know, so we're all walking around in this world bearing, um, pain challenges, yeah. whatever, what, what, what kind of wisdom would you leave everybody with today? Okay. So Ralph Waldo Emerson says, Without a rich heart, wealth is an ugly beggar. Mm. Without a rich heart. So wealth, yes. So without a rich heart, wealth is an ugly beggar. That hit me a long time ago. And it's, and it, it's a good reminder of always remembering what and who you are and why you are who you are and that you're your rich heart is worth a lot more than money. Amazing. And are, is, is any, uh, is your art for sale? Yes. And anyone who wants to buy it for millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So the art is for sale. I'm represented by Fasis in France, also 13th street gallery here in St. Catharines. Um, there are going to be um, some potential things happening again in New York. COVID really knocked galleries and the art world a little bit flat, but that's going to revive. So yeah, yeah. I, I, and I'm always, people can find me. I'm, I haven't been really uh, vociferous on Instagram or Twitter with that's going to change, but I'm also uh, eventually I will be posting up on my site links to different uh, places for people. Yeah. To be able to purchase. Yeah. And, and the NFT thing will be dropped and that will go for Identify Art. So we will yeah. have, um, there'll be more exposure. I'm going to, I'm learning to get out of the cave. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, absolutely love it. Look, everybody is, is dropping that. So Patricia, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, I, I'm so grateful that you came on and spent time with me and, and the audience and shared your beauty and your wisdom and you're, you're, you're amazing. Oh, thank you, Ken, for the opportunity. And I love you. I'm super your you sister too. and uh, I'm happy to see Alan and, and Dennis and everybody that was on. Oh, I haven't seen anything in the columns or whatever, but I'm really appreciative that people took the time to um, share in the conversation with us. 
Yeah, yes. this has been great. So everybody that's watched, thank you so much. Patricia, stay with me. I'm going to end the live stream now. But um, thank you to everybody who's watched and, and shared this out. And this has, been, this has been an amazing hour and 15 minutes. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you, Patricia. Thank you. Have a blessed day. You too.